Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a wonderful conversation about how much moms are really appreciated from Chicken Soup's special Mother's Day edition titled Chicken Soup for the Soul, Moms Knows Best, 101 Stories of Love, Gratitude, and Wisdom. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Happy April to you. Hope you're doing well today. Oh, yes. And I'm very happy to talk about this book. With spring here, we're all starting to think about the spring holidays like Easter and then Mother's (laughs) Day. And so, um, yeah, it's time to think about expressing gratitude to our mothers. And that's why we created Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mom Knows Best, because it's a way of admitting to mom that you were listening all along and that you really do appreciate all of that advice that she's given you over the decades. Really? What did you say? I didn't hear you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful book. Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mom Knows Best is a wonderful, endearing read. The book is beautifully designed and the story is extremely heartwarming. So congratulations on this release. Well, thank you. I had a really good time editing it. It was quite a challenge to pick the 101 stories in it because Mm -hmm. we had thousands of stories submitted. And, you know, it's always a bit heartbreaking to have to say yes to one and no to another. But we look for a lot of variety in the stories. We really want to present a wide group of Mm -hmm. writers to our readers because it's in our pages that you meet people from all over the world who you wouldn't get to meet otherwise. And so you also meet a lot of different kinds of mothers who have a lot of different kinds of advice. And you come away with some great tips for improving your life and also a real appreciation for moms and stepmoms and mothers-in-law and grandmothers and all the other mom figures in our lives. So I really got a lot out of it, being a mother and a grandmother and having lost my mother a couple of years ago. I really appreciated these stories. And it was a really good experience for me and my whole editorial team to put this together because we're all moms and Mm -hmm. we all like these stories that show us that even if our kids haven't admitted it yet, they're definitely listening. Very interesting. I just heard something that I have to lodge a complaint, though. Y'all got to have people like me, a guy, to speak about our moms as well. <laughs> we have stories in here from guys. You know, we just we get I more know. stories submitted by women, but we love it when we get stories from men. And, you know, we we really encourage men to submit stories. Like, you guys will get extra preference to get into Ooh. our book. Yeah, because... I don't know. I guess men don't want to express their feelings as much or men just aren't as much into writing because for women writing about their own lives or the lives of people close to them, it's a way of confronting 
their own lives, confronting their feelings, processing their mm-hmm. feelings, making sense of things in their lives. It's very therapeutic to write stories about your own life or the lives of people close to you. And women are just more likely to do that and do that well. So when we see a man who can do that, we're thrilled and we encourage men to do it because when men do write stories like that, they discover how therapeutic it is for themselves. Now, you've written for us. You're mm-hmm. a guy who knows how to explore his own feelings. And don't you feel better for it when you write a chicken soup for the soul story? You're putting me on the spot here. Of course, definitely. I really do. <laughs> I, I totally agree with what you said in terms of sometimes the expression of one's feelings on paper. And, of course, in these days, in word document. <laughs> It really helps because it's sort of a process of transference and it allows you to actually be the authentic you, to truly express your inner feelings that otherwise you might think someone might be a little bit judgmental about who you are. Yeah, there's no judging in our books. And occasionally if somebody's really uncomfortable using their own name, they go ahead and they use a pen name so that they protect their privacy even as they're getting the benefit of putting their story down on paper and sharing it with other people. So we even get thank you notes from people whose stories Mm -hmm. we have not chosen. Mm -hmm. And they send us thank you notes telling us, you didn't choose my story, but writing it was one of the best experiences of my life because, and then they'll give us a reason, like it allowed me to process my feelings about such and such, or you didn't pick my story, but I shared it with the person I wrote about and it strengthened our relationship or whatever. But people, it's amazing how much they enjoy the process of writing the stories, whether they get published or not. That's the very reason why Chicken Soup is such a beautiful concept. That's the magic that Chicken Soup allows people to do with everyone in terms of connection. Yeah, and for the readers, what's amazing about it is that you really do feel like you have, you know, 101 people pouring mm-hmm. out their most personal revealing stories to share with you. It's like a gigantic support group. And so you pick up one of these books and it's like you have 101 new friends who are saying, look, here's my story. Here's how I felt. Here's what I learned from it. I hope I'm helping you also. Or I hope I'm making you laugh because plenty of our stories don't have any Mm -hmm. lessons in them at all. They're just fun and entertaining because that's a really important part of every person's day as well. I mean, you don't have to be learning all the time. Sometimes you just need to laugh and be entertained by what you read. And so we provide a lot of that too. We love funny, light stories. So anyway, I feel like myself, I've met so many people through editing Mm -hmm. these books. And I think I've developed a much greater understanding of what it's like to live in all different parts of the United States and Canada and people from all walks of life, all careers, all different kinds of families. It's really helped me get to know people who live a different way than I live. And Mm -hmm. I think it's made me a much better person. Wonderful. So let's talk about Chicken Soup Mother's Day edition. I know this is a very popular book. How popular is it? Well, our books for Mother's Day always hit the bestseller list the week they come out, and Mm -hmm. this one has, as usual. Mother's Day is a really big holiday for Chicken Soup for the Soul, 
um, as is Easter. And this year we have Easter and Mother's Day, you know, within, what, three weeks Mm -hmm. of each other. And so even if you're going to, you know, mom's house or grandma's house for Easter, this is a great hostess gift to bring along. doesn't have to be saved for Mother's Day. But I think that people love the idea that they can pick up a book for, you know, $10 or $12 versus, say, buying a card for 450 And they're giving something real, you know, that will provide mm-hmm. hours of reading pleasure and will end up on the bookshelf instead of in the trash. And so it's a great way to give a gift and to tell mom how you feel, especially if you just don't really like to say it out loud. This is a great way to do it by (laughs) handing over the book. I agree with that. We're coming to the beautiful artwork, the beautiful cover of the book, because it's so engaging. It's so warm. I love it. I'm glad you love it. So I'm going to tell you Mm -hmm. and everyone listening the inside story of that cover. So we made that cover and we absolutely loved it. And we presented it to the sales force. And then we were told, you know, it's not very diverse. So we said, you're totally right. Let's go make a different cover that doesn't have people on it. And mm-hmm. so we were told, you know, um, crafts are really um, popular now, like cross-stitching mm-hmm. and things like that. Right. So we made a new cover that we worked super hard on with cross-stitching and with the letters of the title in cross-stitching. And then we went back and we said, look what we did. We were so proud of ourselves. And then we were told, (laughs) oh, whoops, we already went out with that other cover and the retailers loved it and ordered it with the first cover. Yeah. And so what we did with our cross-stitching that we were so proud of is we put it at the beginning of each chapter. So it's really fun because at the beginning of each chapter, um, instead of just, you know, putting the title of the chapter on the paper, we cross-stitched it. So every chapter starts with cross-stitching with the title of that particular chapter. So um, we managed to use our cross-stitching artwork anyway because our graphic designers spent days working on it. (laughs) I love it. The cross-stitch looks wonderful, and you have a beautiful cross-stitch, Mom Knows Best, on the back of the book as well. So it's just fabulous. I can tell you that right now. Having said that, who came up with the title Mom Knows Best? Oh, that was me. Because, of course, as a mother of two grown children, (laughs) I want to make that point very clear. Mom knows best. Uh And kids, if you're listening, I know you know that now because they both (laughs) confessed it to me. It took a long time. But in their 20s, the truth came out. I think I overheard my son one day saying to my daughter, you know, you should just give in and accept that she's going to be right. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? I didn't hear you. (laughs) Bad connection on this side. (laughs) What chapters are covered in the book? So we start out in chapter one with stories that I call the best advice. So this is, you know, specific pieces Mm -hmm. of advice. And I love this because these are pieces of advice that our writers are passing on, but like these are great pieces of advice for all of us readers. Mm-hmm. And um, and I learned from these. And then our second chapter is called Lessons for Life. So these are all about those big life lessons that people got from their mothers. And then the third chapter is called Gratitude because 
so many people wrote stories expressing how thankful they were for some of the really hard things that their mothers did for them or their mothers-in-law or their grandmothers. Fourth chapter is called Role Models, and we read about these incredible moms who overcame obstacles or taught their kids you know, amazing lessons about compassion. And the fifth chapter, of course, makes me very happy because I have a daughter, and it's called Like Mother, Like Daughter, and it's all these daughters <laughs> saying, yeah, I did come out like my mom, and actually I'm okay with that. I'm kind of proud of the fact that I'm like my mom, and everybody says I'm my mother's clone. <laughs> the sixth chapter is called Wise Words, and these are some real important lessons that people are passing on that they got from their mothers, lessons that really changed their lives. And then chapter seven is about embracing change, and it's about that really admirable set of traits in a mother that are, you know, spontaneity and flexibility and the ability to adopt, you know, modern technology and all of that. And that's something that we all admire in mothers and grandmothers, especially as they get older. Chapter eight, is called Always There for Us, and it's about those mothers who come through at great cost to themselves and just come through when you need them, and they know when they need to come through for you, even if you don't know. And then Chapter 9 is called Special Fun, and it's about moms and grandmothers just being, like, funny and kooky and spontaneous and adding joy and adventure to life. And then Chapter 10 is called A Mother's Strength, and I have to admit some of these stories just made me get really teary-eyed because they're about mothers just being amazing, you know, pillars of strength no matter what was going on in their lives or the lives of their children. Wonderful. Sounds like it was an enduring process for you in editing this book. Oh, yeah. I mean, even even putting together the stories that I recorded for the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast, mm-hmm. um, yesterday I recorded a bunch of them for the podcast and those episodes will air in April and May. And I found myself having to practice reading my scripts for those podcasts because I was getting so choked up Mm -hmm. and um, I had to just kind of practice them until I could read them without getting choked up about these amazing mothers and the love that they showed for their children. Beautiful. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Mom Knows Best? Well, I'm assuming that the people who read this will be moms or stepmothers or grandmothers and or mothers-in-law, and they will come away knowing that they are appreciated and that it's worth soldiering on, giving out that advice, even if you're told, I don't want that advice. Just go ahead and do it. I remember myself, especially when my kids were teenagers, I would just give them the advice no matter how much eye rolling there was or sneering (laughs) or smirking or whatever. I would just do it anyway. I'm like, this is my job as their mother to give them this advice because somehow it's going to get into their heads whether they think it is or not, and it's my job to do this. And so – the most important thing mothers can get from this book is the recognition that, yeah, that worked. Your kids were listening, and here's how you know, because here's 101 stories from kids who were listening and express you know, their thanks. And if these 101 kids are expressing their thanks, you know that your kids would be expressing their thanks too. So congratulations. It was worth it. <laughs> 
I agree with that. As someone that have grown and experienced life, it's amazing on how much information that my parents loaded in me that I download over the years and say, well, gee, thanks for letting me know because now I figured it out that it applies to this situation or this time in my life. Yeah, we we hold on to all that advice mm-hmm. as grown children, and we use it all, and it makes us better people and better able to deal with life. And then it makes us better in our relationships ourselves, whether they're with romantic partners or children or friends or business associates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a conversation about how much moms are really appreciated from Chicken Soup's special Mother's Day edition titled Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mom Knows Best. 101 Stories of Love, Gratitude, and Wisdom. Amy, let's talk about some of the stories in the book. Chapter 1, I love it, the best advice. The chapter starts off with Pink Pyrex by Michelle Bruce. Yeah, so I would guess as a guy, you're not really into this concept (laughs) of a woman falling in love with a set of Pink Pyrex casserole dishes. You probably can't even imagine how anybody would care about such a thing. (laughs) But women understand, and in the case of Michelle Bruce, she and her mom were in one of those huge buildings that houses, you know, all those different vendors at different Mm -hmm. booths, and they sell, like, antiques and secondhand stuff, and, and those buildings are fabulous, and there's a lot of great bargains in there. And so they went to this building, and... Michelle saw a set of pink Pyrex casserole dishes, and she loved them, but it was too much money for, you know, something that she didn't need, she just wanted. And so Michelle said, I'm not getting those. And then when she got to the checkout, she found her mother at the checkout because they had gone different directions in this big warehouse building. Mm -hmm. And there were the pink Pyrex casserole dishes in her mother's cart. So Michelle wouldn't let her mother buy them for her, and she told the clerk to put them back. So the next morning, they went back to the same building because they wanted to see a lot more of the booths. And once again, when they met at the checkout, Michelle's mother had the pink Pyrex dishes in her cart. And Michelle said, no, Mom, they're too expensive. This is frivolous. I don't need them. And then her mom turned to her and said, sometimes you just have to buy the pink Pyrex. And she bought it for Michelle. And so... Now Michelle has these dishes on display in her kitchen, and they make her so happy. And she says, you know, she realizes it's not that it was really about the pink Pyrex. It was about once in a while you've got to treat yourself because taking care of your own happiness makes you better able to project that happiness forward to other people. And Michelle says now she's going to teach her own daughters that lesson (laughs) to buy their own version of the pink Pyrex. Mm Mm-hmm. Beautiful story. That story reminded me about, and I know you mentioned this about me not into this pink Pyrex things. You're right. But what happened is every time when my mom used to stay with me for about five months at a time, she would make flowers, roses, and all kinds of flowers in baskets that she would weave from wrapping paper and tissues. Till this day, five years later after her passing, I still have them in my house. 
the other day when I was talking to my sister and I showed her from our Skype live chat so she can see my place. And she was so surprised that I still have all these beautiful tissue roses that my mom made some 15, 20 years ago. Wow, I'm amazed that they stayed okay. They don't have like dust on them and mm-hmm. the colors remained and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I took care of them. Yeah, that's what my sister was complaining about. It's like, how come yours looks great? The colors, the different colors are still there. I said, well, I don't know. I mean, and so it just worked. It's there. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. funny that your sister was like, how come yours stayed and mine didn't stay? And that kind of brings us up to the next story on your list because it's about siblings saying, well, wait, how come you got such and such and I didn't, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Tell us about it. All right. It. So, th- so this story that I know you loved and now I know why, is called <laughs> Evening Things Up and it's by Victoria Marie Lees. And she tells this story about how um, her kids were bickering and it was just driving Victoria crazy. Her kids were fighting over everything, like who got to play with a toy longer or who got the bigger half of something. So she was telling her mom about this and her mom told her how her grandmother had handled this. And so what Victoria's grandmother had done, and she had two daughters, was if she had, say, a dessert that the girls had to split she said to the girls, okay, one of you is going to cut the dessert in half, and then the other one is going to choose which half she wants. So, of course, the girl who was cutting it, knowing that the other girl was going to choose the half, she made those halves as equal as possible. And then when it came to doing chores around the house, Victoria's grandmother had one girl make the list of chores, and then the other girl got to pick first. So that caused the girl who was writing the list to make sure that every single chore was equal in, you know, the amount of time or how hard it was because she knew she wasn't going to get to pick first. So if she made, you know, one of the chores really easy, her sister was going to pick it. And so Victoria started doing that, and it worked out so great. Let's say the kids had to divide up a pile of, say, Legos. She'd get one kid to sort them into two piles but the other kid got to choose the pile that he or she wanted first, and that ensured that the piles were equal. So I thought that was great advice, and I never had thought about that when I was raising my kids. So I really (laughs) wanted to pass that on to everybody out there. Yep, it's a beautiful story. Believe me, we are six years apart, my sister, (laughs) and the tenth. Uh huh. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 2, Lessons for Life. Mom's Wisdom by Eugene Meade. Yeah, so in this case, um, Eugene's mom always made lunch for the kids, you know, and they took a lunch bag with a sandwich and a piece of fruit and a dessert. And Eugene always looked forward to that dessert. It was usually a cookie or a cupcake. And then one day at school, you know, he stashed his lunch in the like little walk-in storage area where all the kids stashed their lunches, and his dessert was missing. So he just figured his mom forgot to put it in, so he didn't say anything. But then for the next few days, there was never any dessert in his lunch. So then he asked his mom, and she said, of course she had included a dessert every day. And they talked about it, and then Eugene realized that this boy in his classroom named Carl kept getting sent to that storage area for timeouts. (laughs) <laughs> and 
Carl lived in a group foster home, and he must have been going through the lunches and taking Eugene's dessert. So Eugene's mother said to him, that poor kid has so little, and what he really needs is a friend. And from then on, she put two desserts in Eugene's lunch bag every day so that Carl could just take one. And so Carl one day approached Eugene at recess and asked why there were always two desserts. He was basically confessing he had been in the lunch bag. And Eugene said, my mom puts one in for you. And then they started playing together, and Carl took Eugene home after school. And he was actually a really nice kid. He just needed to know that somebody cared for him. Well, unfortunately, before the school year was over, Carl was transferred to another group home, and that was in another school district. So Eugene didn't get to see him anymore. But Eugene says that he learned a lifelong lesson from his mom about how to recognize when somebody has a need and how to show compassion for that person. So I thought that was a wonderful story. It's a beautiful story. When you talk about life lessons, it's never too young or situationally to teach your child what is the right thing to do. Yeah, because kids really do learn from watching the examples of their mothers. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, we're, we'll talk about that more today, but it is amazing what role models mothers are for their kids and how mm-hmm. often the kids say it's like, I always do such and such because my mother always did it. And it doesn't matter if, if our mothers are gone, we will still follow that example because we know it's the right thing to do because mom did it that way. So true. Chapter three, this is a wonderful chapter, gratitude. And the story is so wonderful, especially in today's world and here in the United States where you have, or not even necessarily in the United States, but all over the world, where you have a lot of inter-ethnicity marriages and even in some cases, religion. The story is Diwali with My New Family by Sarah Chansaka. So Sarah um, and her husband met at college in New Delhi, And Sarah was um, Muslim, and her husband was Hindu, and so their families were not happy about this marriage between two people of different religions. They even spoke different languages, because, you know, India has a lot of Mm -hmm. different languages. And so they got married anyway, and then this festival called Diwali came up three months into their marriage, And they went to Sarah's in-laws to celebrate Diwali. And the first Diwali for a new bride is a big deal. And so uh, the the extended family of her husband was invited also. And as soon as they got to Sarah's in-laws, like the first thing that happened was that the in-laws spoke Marathi and um, she spoke Hindi. And so They didn't speak the same language, um, but they all tried to speak Hindi just to help her out. And they ate different food, and they dressed differently. So anyway, Sarah was asked to put on this sari that her mother-in-law had bought for her, but Sarah couldn't put on a sari by herself. She needed help putting one on because you have to wrap, you know, six yards Mm -hmm. of silk around yourself (laughs) and pin it exactly right, and it's really hard So she wanted her husband to help her, and he said, I can't be in the room with you behind closed doors during the daytime. That would be 
shocking in my family. <laughs> and so Sarah was, you know, in the bedroom for an hour trying to put the sari on, and she couldn't do it. And she was just, you know, crying, and it was horrible. And then her mother-in-law knocked gently on the door and came in and helped her and was so kind to her. And then she went out to see the family, and her mother-in-law, despite the fact that she had objected to the marriage, very proudly told the family, my daughter-in-law is an earning member of the family. She even travels abroad for work. So she was embracing the fact that her daughter-in-law was so different from what they had expected and was this working woman. And she really spoke up for Sarah to have a more equitable position in the family. And one thing that happened was the next day was super important. So on this day, there was a tradition where the wife was supposed to touch her husband's feet and, like, kneel in front of him and touch his feet. And in Sarah's religion, that was completely forbidden. You did not bow down in front of another person and as if you were worshiping a person. And so her mother-in-law realized it and came to her rescue again and said that these two were friends before they became husband and wife, so they will just shake hands with each other. And so that saved Sarah from having to bow at her husband's feet. And so Sarah ended up saying that her mother-in-law took care of all of her concerns with such grace and really made her feel comfortable, and Sarah realized, wow, she's just like my own mother. It's a beautiful story, and this is a classic example of when you look through the lens of love, everything changes. The heart speaks, and everything falls into place, regardless of religion and ethnicity. Yeah, that is true. A mother is a mother, and a mother feels compassion for her daughter-in-law. And I, so I love that story. I thought that was really terrific, that the mother-in-law was so flexible and open, and that's something that is really valuable in a person. Mm -hmm. So true. And especially during this day and age, because you do have people from diverse background meeting here, whether in the United States or all over the world, and now you have this sort of a, a nice mixing bowl that you have culturally, you have to be able to evolve and connect. Coming from Malaysia, I can certainly relate to this because there's a lot of uh, inter- religion marriages and inter-ethnicity marriages, if we allow love to grow, everything will work out. Yeah, because Malaysia, you have a big population there that's Christian and a big population that's Muslim, right? Yes, mm -hmm. and Chinese and Indians as well. So it's a natural thing to happen. And so I think this is where, when you look at it from a perspective, again, through the lens of love, and moms are very good at this, though. I have to really commend that from that perspective because I know my mom certainly looks through the lens of love. It's just something special. I think moms around the world go through that process in looking through the lens of love a whole lot more than I would say other people would be. That's right. If we were in charge of everything, there wouldn't be any wars. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Chapter four, role models. Go to Them by Lisa Petit. So this was cool because this was um, something that Lisa learned from her mom when she was in high school. And Lisa and her family had just moved to this new town, so she didn't know anybody. But then she started making friends, and there was this boy named Brian who was really nice to her. And after she had known Brian for about a year, 
his father had passed away unexpectedly. And Lisa had never met his dad, so she told her mom they shouldn't go to the funeral because Lisa, you know, being only 15 years old, thought, well, you don't go to a funeral if you don't know the person. But her mom explained, no, the funeral is not just about the person who's passed away. It's much more about the people left behind. And so you need to show up for your friend Brian. That's what's important, just showing up. So Lisa reluctantly agreed to go because at least her mom was going to go with her. And they went, and Lisa noticed how her mom seemed perfectly at ease, even though Lisa was really nervous. And Lisa says, we didn't do anything extraordinary that day. We didn't have fond memories to share with Brian. We didn't make food or even take flowers. We were just there, and somehow that was enough. Watching my mom hug Brian made all her words come alive. And then she says that it was so clear that Brian was touched by them being there. And Lisa says, the lesson I learned that day has always stayed with me. If friends are grieving, go to them. Totally agree. These are the nonverbal support that all of us need by just being there. The interesting part about it is that a mom taking charge and teaching kids how to do that is so important. Yeah, I agree with you. Chapter 5, Like Mother, Like Daughter. I know you love this chapter. And the story is A Journey Twice Taken by Diane Stott. So Diane starts out by telling us about the birth of her first child. And it was only when she met her baby that she realized how much a mother loves her children. And, of course, that never changes, right? You worry as much <laughs> about a 30-year-old as you do about a newborn. Well, as it turned out, that day that Diane was having her first baby and her mother was by her side, her mom was protecting her because the day before, a strange woman had stopped by Diane's mother's house and Diane's mother had learned that her 30-year marriage was over. But she didn't say anything to Diane until after she had that baby. But then over the course of that next year, Diane supported her mom as she went through a divorce. And then seven years later, Diane went through her own divorce, and her mother turned around and was comforting her and supporting her because her mom was already remarried to a wonderful second husband by then. So one day, Diane, who had moved back in with her mother, was feeling awful and was telling her mother, like, I'm never going to get back to normal. I'm never going to be able to handle this. And her mother said to her, you're not going to get back to your old normal. You have to abandon the old normal. You have to find your new normal. And then her mom said, don't you remember the advice that you gave me when I was in your shoes? You told me to find the good in each day, no matter how small it was. That's how you find your new normal. And so her mom started showing her how to find the good things in her days. And it was a gradual process. But one day Diane realized that she was okay again. So I thought that was really cool that first mm -hmm. Diane helped her mother through her divorce and then her mother helped her. And it really turned them into friends supporting each other. It's a beautiful story. Chapter 6 is a wonderful story. It's a nice layup to what I consider like mother, like daughter. But this is in terms of words of wisdom. The chapter title is Wise Words. And it's written by Hooray by Guy. <laughs> Why, not? <laughs> Why not be both by Brian Danforth? Yeah, so 
This is interesting because if you think about how little kids are raised, people say to them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer is always mm-hmm. one thing. You know, I want to be right. a librarian. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a professional baseball player. And kids aren't taught to say, like, I would like to be a writer and a baseball player. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. supposed to pick one thing. So Brian's mom taught him that the world was not binary, that – you didn't have to just pick one thing. And so you, in fact, can be more than one thing. There's not one path to follow. And so one day when Brian was little, he said to his mother, should I become a writer or an artist? And his mother said, well, why not be both? If you enjoy both, then pursue both. And that was such an eye-opener for Brian. And it, he always returned to those words of wisdom as he was, you know, starting to grow up and figuring out what he wanted to do. And it really helped him to know that there wasn't just one perfect path he was supposed to follow, that he could be more than one thing. And I thought, what a great piece of advice. It seems so obvious, but it's not how little kids are raised. We're all raised to think we're going to become a thing, not multiple mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So true. I agree. That's just the other example of about teaching kids what I consider as curiosity. Why not pursue it and see what you think? Go to the limit and then you decide what really makes you feel good and what makes you feel that you're a success at and so forth. So I love that story from that perspective. Chapter seven, embracing change, bonding over the kitchen sink. I love this by Christina Hauser. Yeah, so Christina had this boyfriend, and her boyfriend's mother was famous for being really great to her boyfriend's friends. Like, even though she had a full-time job, she would still come home and make fresh-baked goodies for her son's friends. But she was not nice to her son's girlfriends, and she wasn't warm at all (laughs) with Christina. There was always this feeling of tension in the air when Christina went over there. And then Christina was invited to her boyfriend's Christmas dinner. So after dinner, the whole family went into the living room and sat on the couch. Nobody was helping the mother, and so Christina insisted on helping with the dishes. So she walked into the kitchen, which was hard for her to do because her boyfriend's mother was kind of scary, and she just silently helped wash and dry the dishes. And then finally she got up her courage to speak, and she thanked her boyfriend's mother for the dinner. And then his mother started talking to her and asked her questions about her family. And they ended up talking for an hour. And from that day forward, they always talked and Christina always helped with the dishes. And then when Christina became her daughter-in-law, they talked on the phone daily. They were really good friends. And eventually Christina's mother-in-law confessed that she had been cold to her initially because she had never seen her son fall so hard for a girl before And at that time, her boyfriend's parents were going through a divorce. So Christina's mother-in-law was worried that she was going to lose her son and have nobody. And so she apologized. You know, she felt bad she Mm -hmm. had treated Christina that way when she was just a girl. But anyway, they were always friends. They always did the dishes together. And then a few years after her mother-in-law died, Christina and her husband were going through a little rough patch and their dishwasher mysteriously stopped working and they were forced to wash the dishes by hand. 
And so Christina's husband helped her dry the dishes every evening. And after a couple of nights, they found they were enjoying it. In fact, they started talking, and they talked through the issues that had been bothering them, and they laughed, and they shared memories. And their marriage got really strong again. And, in fact, they enjoyed doing the dishes together so much that they didn't even replace the dishwasher for two months. And Christina (laughs) said she always thinks somehow that her mother-in-law could somehow make that dishwasher break so that her (laughs) son and his wife could have those meaningful talks that repaired their relationship. I love the story. It reminded me when I was growing up and my mom always, to teach my sister and I, we have to pick up our plates from the table. We have to clean our dishes, right? And I always dreaded it. And I tried to sneak and not do that. However, when we go over to relatives' places, and my grandma's house and so forth, I'll be the first one to go in there, clean the dishes and so forth. And my mom was like furious, but everybody loved me. All my aunts and uncles and my grandma loved me because I'm a good boy. (laughs) Well trained. And my mom was saying like, why aren't you doing that at home? And I'm saying, well, at home I can get away. Here I've got a reputation to maintain. Anyway, so it's funny. You know, I bet if we talked to your sister about that, she'd be like, yeah, he was he was kissing up to those relatives. He was trying to get the presents. I bet she's mad at you for that still. Of course. <laughs> You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a conversation about how much moms are really appreciated from Chicken Soup for the Soul Mother's Day special edition titled Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mom Knows Best, 101 Stories of Love, Gratitude, and Wisdom. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Amy, Chapter 8, All is There for Us. This is a beautiful story I didn't know, but my mom did by Abdi Dunlop. So in this case, Abby had a newborn, and she was just exhausted. Like this baby wanted to nurse all the time. She and her husband weren't getting any sleep. Um, You know, Abby was just falling apart. And so one night her mom said she would babysit, so they dropped off the baby at her mother's, and they went out to dinner And then when they got back to the house, Abby was, you know, crying because she had to stay up all night breastfeeding again, and her husband was tired. And her mom said, you know what, you're not eating enough. And even though Abby had just been out to dinner with her husband, her mom made her sit down and eat a huge plate of spaghetti. And Abby found she was devouring it because her mother was right. Her mother knew how hungry she was, even though Abby didn't know it. And then her mother forced Abby and her husband and the baby to stay over at her house. And her mother stayed up all night with the baby so that Abby and her husband could actually sleep. And Abby says, you know, I didn't know what I needed, but my mother did. And I just thought that was so sweet and such a moving story about how a mother steps in and her mother stayed up all night and was exhausted so that her poor daughter of a newborn didn't have to stay up all night. It's a wonderful story. And again, it talks about motherly instincts, just being able to see the picture on its entirety and kind of stepped in because of unconditional love. So it's just a beautiful story. 
Chapter 9 is kind of cool. Special fun. The Ever-Blooming Hibiscus by Deborah Lean. So Deborah and her family were going to her father's 65th birthday, but he unexpectedly died of a heart attack on the tennis court, so they ended up planning his funeral instead of his birthday. And as they were going into a flower shop to buy some things for the funeral home, her mother stopped and looked at this gorgeous red hibiscus plant. And when her mother left the store, um, Deborah, you know, quickly and secretly paid for that plant and said, deliver this to my mother's house. I don't want this to be part of the funeral flowers. I want this to be my mother's, you know, flowering tree for her to have. So her mother loved it. And then when her mother went to Florida in the winter, she brought the hibiscus over to Deborah's house, and Deborah proceeded to kill the hibiscus. And so she went back to the flower shop and bought a replacement one and gave it back to her mom when her mom came back from Florida. And her mom acted like it was the same plant. And then the next year when her mom went to Florida, she brought the hibiscus back to Deborah, and Deborah killed it again. And then her <laughs> Then Deborah went and bought another one and gave it back to her mother. And then the third year when her mother brought the hibiscus to her because she was going to Florida, she said, you don't have to buy me a replacement this year. <laughs> the hibiscus has done its job. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. And so I just thought that was so funny that her mom knew all along that she was killing every single hibiscus and replacing it. I chose that story because, sis, if you're hearing this, this is for you in Malaysia. When my mom visited me, in the United States, she would stay for about five months. And so the first few times when she would stay with me, by the time she got home, all her flowers looks awesome, right? Because the job of watering the plants fell on my sister. It's a perfect example right here. My sister and my brother-in-law would go out the week before my mom gets home, buy a bunch of new plants, sort of <laughs> almost the same looking orchids and stuff to replace the whole bunch. But the only thing they couldn't hide is because their kids lost like about 10 pounds over that period of five months because my sister wasn't really cooking for them. They were eating out all the time. That's really funny. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> Another story for Chapter 9 that's really funny is The Easter Bunny Strikes Again by Cheryl Urich. So Cheryl tells us that her brother came home from college and brought some friends for the long weekend of Easter. And her mom was really excited to host all of these college kids and had sleeping bags and pillows and everything out for them and, you know, treated them really well. But the boys went out that Saturday night before Easter and were out till, you know, 2.30 in the morning. And the mom really wanted the boys to go to church with them the next morning and she had said to them, you know, we're going to go to church at 8.30 if you care to join us. But she wasn't really pressing it. She was just kind of saying it, hopefully. So they went to church without her brother and the college kids the next morning. But she saw her mom kept looking at the you know, rear door of the church, hoping to see the boys come in. And just as the service was starting, the boys filed in, looking really funny because none of them had brought jackets and ties and the things that they should wear to church on Easter Sunday. But they came in and they all looked really funny because they were all wearing jackets and ties that they had cobbled together from Cheryl's brother's closet and Cheryl's father's <laughs> closet. None of them really fit right, but at least the boys tried. 
And so her mom was really happy. And then when they got home, Cheryl discovered that her mom, at 2.30 in the morning, after those boys had finally come in and gone to sleep, she had left an Easter basket at each sleeping bag for them, which was just so sweet. So I just thought it was a really nice story about this mom so enthusiastically welcoming these house guests for the weekend and treating them like the big children they were and having them all receive Easter baskets. This is a beautiful story for others to follow this Easter. Chapter 10 of Mother Strength, The Way I Love My Babies by Kristen Homsey. Yeah, so Kristen's story is about how her mom was such a lifesaver because Kristen had a toddler girl, and then she delivered identical twin boys, and she delivered them 10 weeks early. So, you know, they were in the NICU for a while, and then she finally got to take them home. But even when she was at the hospital trying not to deliver them prematurely, she spent six days in labor, you know, trying to keep them in. And even though she said, nobody can come and visit me in the hospital, her mother disobeyed and showed up anyway, and that was exactly the right thing to do. And then when they got home, her mother helped her, and one of the first things they had to do with these little babies who only weighed four pounds each was they needed to be bathed. And it had been really important to Kristen when she had given her toddler daughter her first bath as a newborn. And so Kristen's mom was very respectful, and she kept saying, am I interfering? Do you want to do this yourself? But Kristen was so beat up by this whole process of delivering these twins early, and she was so upset with everything. She said, no, Mom, please, you you bathe them. So her mother did, and Kristen finally confessed to her mom that she just didn't think she could handle this at all because the babies were so small and frail and sick, and she wasn't getting any sleep. And her mother said kind of sternly, you don't have a choice. You are their mother. And then right after that, she left. At least she went out the front door, but Kristen didn't actually hear her mother's car pull away for a long time. So later that evening, Kristen's husband and daughter came home, and Kristen played with her daughter for a little while and really wanted to cry, but she looked at her daughter's face and how trusting she was, and she composed herself because that's what mothers do, and that's what her daughter needed. And then it hit her. When her mother had said to her, you don't have a choice, you are their mother, and then she left, her mother had been talking to herself as well as to Kristen, and Kristen realized that when her mother went outside but then didn't drive away, she must have been crying in her car, finally letting it all out. And that's when Kristen found her own strength and her own determination to take care of her sons because she realized she could be strong like her mother. She could power through whatever came next because that's what mothers do. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Another story in this chapter that's really wonderful as well is Breaking Down Walls by Kathleen Monroe. Yeah, so Kathleen says that her mother was super strong. She had not had an easy life. She had grown up in a difficult family where she felt unwanted, and then she got pregnant at 17, and she lost a child to sudden infant death syndrome, and then she got divorced after 17 years of marriage, and after Kathleen's dad left, that was when her mother stopped being strong for a little while. She grieved the divorce, and Kathleen found that she, who was only 15, was the one who was taking care of her younger sisters. She was doing the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry, 
But her mom was working full time. She just didn't have the energy to do more than that while she was grieving her divorce. Well, one of their problems was that everything kept breaking. The car broke down. The appliances were breaking. And the last straw for Kathleen's mom was when the washer and dryer failed. So Kathleen's mom had to save up money, and it took a few months, but she finally had enough saved to get a new washer and dryer. And she was really proud of herself, and it was a big part of her recovering from her divorce. But then on the day of the delivery, they realized something. Kathleen's dad had built a wall in the basement when the old washer and dryer were already in place, and he had built this wall with a door in it, and the door wasn't wide enough to get washers and dryers in and out. And so the store took the new washer and dryer back, and that was just a huge setback for Kathleen's mother because she had been so happy that she could get these new appliances. And so she just sat, she sat there on the basement stairs crying, and Kathleen didn't know how to help her, so she just went upstairs. And then after a long time, she heard this banging and yelling from the basement, and she ran back <laughs> down the basement stairs, and there was her mother with a sledgehammer, and she was bashing that wall down. And Kathleen says it was like she was breaking through all her grief and helplessness. She was not going to let that wall keep her from her goal. (laughs) So they called the store. They said, bring the washer and dryer back. And the store couldn't understand, like, what has changed. But when the delivery men got into the basement and they found the air was still full of all that dust from all that destruction, (laughs) they gave Kathleen's mom you know, a really frightened look and got out of there as fast as they could. (laughs) But Kathleen says her mom was such a role model for her that day uh, because she knocked down more than the basement wall. Her mom went back for her GED. She went on to college. And Kathleen says that her mom helped the kids find their own walls and break them down. And she says, I learned a valuable lesson from her. No wall built by another should ever stand in the way of moving forward. So I thought that was a really wonderful story about a very strong mother being an incredible role model for her kids. Mm -hmm. It comes back to the sort of being who you are and being the leader. And this is just a beautiful mom knows best story. What are some of the other stories resonate with you? Well, there was one that I really loved about a mother teaching her daughter how to be brave and ask for what she wants. Mm -hmm. Because what her mother said to her is the worst they can say is no. And, you know, if you ask for something and you get that no, and then you realize, oh, that wasn't so bad, that's a really good lesson. And so Tracy, (laughs) the first time she did it, she went into a restaurant, and there was a table she wanted but they were seating her at a different table and so she asked for the table that she wanted and they said oh no that's already been reserved for someone else and so she didn't get the table that she asked for and it was a great lesson because she asked they said no and the world did not end so she thought okay I am going to be able to ask for things and if I get a no I'll survive it and so she started asking for lots of things and she ended up auditioning and getting a part in a play and she asked men out on dates and she got lower prices on things just by asking and she even got a new job by getting up the courage to ask and so I thought that was a great example of a mother's good advice and then there was another one I really liked um, which basically (laughs) says it's okay to turn into your mother it's by this woman Randy Mazzella and she said that 
she always thought her mother was like embarrassing and weird and this and that. And then when she became a mother and she went to school, like wearing whatever she was wearing, but throwing a coat over it and doing all of the same embarrassing things that her mom did. She said, yeah, I've turned into my mother and my kids are darn lucky that I have. So I thought that was really nice also. Beautiful. Do you have any advice for other moms out there? Yeah, I feel like one of the pieces of advice is that when you have little kids, and this is something I did all the time, is you have to recognize how frustrating it is to be a little kid because you don't have control, even over little things that don't matter. Like, it doesn't really matter what your kids wear when they're little. Like, if your daughter wants to wear a pink tutu to nursery school every day for six months, it's not a problem. And the nursery school isn't going to care. I mean, my son wore a red cape every day for six months. And then when they get older and, you know, they start acting out and rolling their eyes and all of that, that what got me through those years was never taking it personally. I never took it personally. I knew it was just mm-hmm. a part of them growing up, and it wasn't about me. It was about them learning how to separate and become independent so those are the pieces of advice I would give is, like, give your kids control over the little things that don't matter and don't take it personally when they go through the natural growing up process. That's true. Very true. As we close the show, what recipes for living would you like to share with our listeners this morning? I guess the recipe for living is to think about all the advice your mother ever gave you and whether you still have your mother or you don't. Just keep following that advice because it's really good advice. And I'm still following my mother's advice, and she's been gone a couple of years, but I'm still, you know, writing those thank you notes. And she used to send uh, honey bells, which are a kind of citrus fruit. She used to send them out to a large mailing list every December. I do the same thing now. I got the list and, you know, added on to it. And just keep doing everything that your mother told you to do because she really was right. That's true, though. I agree with that. Amy, thank you for the recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning. Amy will be back to talk about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Life Lessons from the Dog, 101 Tales of Family, Friendship, and Fun. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it's been a true pleasure, and I do want to be the first one to wish you Happy Mother's Day. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.